Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Bastards of Boston Hot Stove edition of the podcast. The Yoshinobu Yamamoto market is starting to take shape. Uh, it appears he's basically in the final stages of, uh, you know, making his decision now. He's meeting teams for a second time was with the Mets about 24 hours ago at the time of this recording, and then the Yankees today apparently scheduled to meet with the Red Sox one more time on Monday. So we'll see. I, I haven't heard much from the Dodgers, but we'll uh, we'll get into that. We'll also just talk the pitching market in general. Uh, the other big development this weekend, Lourdes Gurriel has signed a three-year deal to basically remain with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Was a highly coveted guy by a couple of us on the show tonight, but the dream is officially dead. And he signed for three years, $42 million. So right on the nose for what MLB trade rumors projected. That was the five-part list we covered uh, earlier uh, in the offseason. So Charlie Smith, Micah Storms with me tonight. Charlie, how are you? Good, dude. Um, you know, it's been an eventful last, I don't know, I'd say probably three or four hours. Special shout out to Justin Cook, who uh, was listening to one of my last shows and I had a little bit of a gaffe. I got bad information from someone and unfortunately rolled, without, rolled with it without checking my source. Kind of feeling like Morosi a little bit here, so that was a good moment, good, good, a uh, humbling experience right there. It was a good time, been real. All right, Charlie's pants are now back up around his waist. So, um, also uh, with us tonight again, Micah Storms. Micah, how are you? Uh, I'm good, Terry. That that made me laugh. Um, I just, I'm tired of the Yamamoto sweepstakes. I want him to make a decision. He's holding up the market and the Red Sox are just waiting and guys are flying off the board. I'm getting irritated because I just, there's a part of me that really, really believes that the Red Sox are not in this like they say they are. You know what he's going to do? He's going to make his decision tomorrow, not tell anybody and then go hang out at like some secluded monastery until january 3rd and then he'll tell us you know hours before the deadline just uh just to mess with the market a little bit but um so all right let's kind of get into that right now um up until i think it was what on saturday we had no confirmation that the red sox had actually met with yamamoto and i was starting to wondering if it was even going to happen like maybe they're just starting to see the numbers getting kicked around and they're just not going to they're just not going to enter this and then finally we heard from a couple of sources one of them Jim Bowden the other one I forget his name and he's really hit or miss he has hit on some stuff but was way off last season with the Bogarts uh pursuit I I forget his name he's from the Caribbean um you know, breaks a lot of news for, for players down there. But um, but he basically said the Red Sox do have an offer around $300 million, and Jim Bowden uh, also confirmed that. So the Red Sox are in it, and um, 
Uh, I'm kind of surprised, but Micah is not still pretty skeptical, actually. Charlie, what are your thoughts on it? Actually, Micah, I want to hear you go first before I start talking, because I feel like I've been kind of, I've had an interesting last couple of days and an interesting last show and a half with, with fans and, and people alike. So I, I believe they have an offer on the table for, I think it was reported just over 300 million. I believe that's true. Um, but I think it's real that 300 or just over 300 is not going to get the job done. So if, if, if they're just saying they're in competition with for Yamamoto, that's kind of annoying. Like if they're willing to go to 350, 360, 375, then I think you have to tip your cap and say, well, you know what? You were you were willing to go that high, but I do think there is a a, par, a, a moment where you go, you can't spend that much on one on one player. You could legitimately go out and get two or three pitchers for the amount of money that they're going to give Yamamoto. If it gets up to the four hundred million, up in that range, um, so I, I do think they're in the competition, but I just don't think they're gonna gonna spend like the Dodgers might or the Mets might. I, I don't believe it because we haven't seen anything like that over the last five six years. Three hundred million, yeah, that's a lot of money, and I, I'm 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 glad to hear they're willing to do that. But again, is it just to say we're in it? but we're really not in it because they know that number is going to go way over 300 million. Um, that That's where I stand. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get to the point where if it gets to 12, 14 years, like it was reported, I truly don't even want the Red Sox in those debates. Like, I think you just say, yeah, you know what? That's way too much. You deal with that headache because that contract will be a headache at, at some point and it will be for a long time. Um, but it's wild how the deal has really just ballooned over the off season because they were talking 200 million in the beginning of November. And now we're up to probably 350, if not more, if you tack on 12, 13, 14 years, I mean, that deal is going to be in the four hundreds, which is insane. So that's where I stand on it. I, I was happy to hear that the Red Sox actually were willing to go to 300, um, but again, does it mean anything if they know the market is really not 300 and it's probably 350 or 400 to me, it really doesn't mean anything. Yeah. So Terry and myself were talking about, you know, if, and actually Mike, I think actually the last time we talked about the deal for Yamamoto, what would you do? You know, we're talking about, okay, if the contract exceeds 250 million, would you be upset if the Red Sox aren't? in the list or in the market for his services and whatnot. There's that. Then it was me kind of posing the question, well, we're talking about 250 million and him not getting that deal, but what if it ends up being 200 million? What if it ends up being five years, 200 mil with opt-outs after years two, three, and five or something like that, two, three, and four. Um, and, and now with an expectation of a deal that exceeds 12 or 13 years, you're looking at probably 30 to 35 million. You've, you've blown past 324 million, which is what Garrett Cole got. If I'm not mistaken, tell me I'm wrong. I'm good being wrong. Nine years, 324. There you go. Right. So 325, as we already said, would exceed the record for any major league pitcher done 350. 
you've gone above and beyond 400 or 375. You again have exceeded the expectations for a pitcher that has never thrown one pitch in major league baseball period. But above all else, you can say whatever you want about the Red Sox making a strong offer. The giants are in on it and whatnot. Who, who is selling Boston right now? You're not getting any of the other hitters. We still haven't gotten any pitchers. I'm thankful that we haven't gotten any. Micah, thank you for shouting me out on that show. I'm really happy that Seth Lugo decided to kick rocks and go to KC. He won't win 10 games this year. So that's a savings of $15 million for that bust. Not happening. I'm totally cool. Maybe he ends up turning fine, whatever. I still wouldn't have paid the money that he was looking for. Moving on. If Yamamoto comes to Boston and he signs a dumb contract, and by dumb contract, I mean 12 or 13 years at 35 or more per, he would exceed the record ever by any pitcher in Major League Baseball. How many wins is he going to get this year with the team that he currently has behind him? 12? Maybe 13 wins if he's lucky? It's going to be like Felix Hernandez in Seattle when he was arguably the best pitcher in the American League and had nobody hitting for him. And the guy won, if I'm not mistaken, a Cy Young going like 12 and 9, 12 and 8, 13, 8, 13, 9. I'm not looking at it, but he he got a Cy Young for having a not that great record because there was no offense behind him. You currently are selling what we're hoping is going to be a banger in O'Neill. We have no idea what's going to happen. And Rafael Devers. Because you still don't know what you're getting with some of the other guys. We don't know if Duran is going to be, you know, take it up a notch. I'm I'm curious to see if you know Tristan Casas can can really light it up and whatnot. But there really is nothing sexy about the Boston Red Sox that makes someone like Yamamoto say Boston has to be my destination. There were some rumors and rumblings about him not wanting to live in the shadow or under the shadow, whatever, of Shohei Otani and playing in Los Angeles, I still end up thinking he goes to either LA or the Mets. I don't know if he's going to say yes to the Yankees over the Mets, but I mean, I could be wrong. The Mets have no problem shelling out money. The Red Sox are pretending like all of a sudden now money's not an issue when we've been irrelevant for literally every other free agent, major league baseball the last, I don't know how many years. So, uh, I'm trying to find more confirmation of this, but a notable Red Sox account, I'm not going to say his name because he's not a member of the actual, you know, press corps, but he's saying that the Red Sox do not have a second meeting set up with Yamamoto. So there's no concrete plans for him to come back. Uh, so I'm not sure where he got that information. The tweet is about an hour old. But getting back to what you guys were saying, there is a limit for me. I- I'm not willing to be stupid. Ten years, three hundred and fifty million. That's my limit because that the posting fee is going to bring that over uh, four hundred, and I'm out. And I'm curious as to what a 13 or 14 year deal is going to look like. Is it going to be a similar amount and then, but lower average annual value? Because if that's the case, I think the Red Sox offer is just as good. He's going to be a free agent again at 35. You've seen what Verlander, Scherzer, 
some of these old guys are getting. Jake DeGrom at age 35 signed a massive deal with the Mets. So I don't see why 10 at 350 wouldn't necessarily be attractive. I feel like there has to be a ceiling. With Shohei, there was no ceiling. It could get as insane as they wanted it to. But I think the posting fee really really kind of does create a limit with both teams. And I think it ultimately comes down to who does he want? Which city is most attractive to him? Which roster is most attractive to him? Who had the best pitch? I got a lot more to say, but go ahead, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you meant to say uh, Rangers. You said he signed with the Mets. I absolutely. Uh, no, no, you're yeah. good. We've all done it. It's all good. Yes. Including myself. I didn't so, say he was dead. I've, I've never done it, Charlie. I've never done it. <laughs> We're only 10 minutes in, Micah. Let's give it some time. Uh, So DeGrom DeGrom signed, it was five for 180? 185, close enough. Okay, I was close. I was was in the ballpark. Yeah, I'll I'll give myself five million kicker. Um, I honestly do think that 10 at 350 would be my limit too. I I really can't see myself going any higher than that because – you, you assume you're probably going to lose maybe one or two years for the outlier injury or, you know, God forbid there's other major problems that come along or, or whatever. I, I just, I don't know. I think anything over that and you're really playing with fire. And you said you want to keep going, so I'll shut up. That's all right. So go back to 2007. You know, let, let's say hypothetically Daisuke Matsuzaka was the the Japanese pitcher available this year, okay? And he was the only one. And he, here are some of his accolades. In the NPB, which is the biggest, most prestigious league in Japan, he was a seven-time All-Star, a two-time Japan Series champion. Not sure what that means. He won the Eiji Sawamura Award one time. That's basically the Cy Young. He was a seven-time Mitsui Golden Glove Award winner. Uh, he was uh, three times the NPB wins leader, so won more games in three seasons than any other pitcher. Two times he was the NB- NPB ERA leader. And then four times he was the MPB strikeout leader. So he was an elite arm. And if he was available today with those accolades, there would be tons of rage about Daisuke Matsuzaka. And the hype would be very similar to, you know, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And luckily for the Red Sox in 2007, you got Daisuke on a five-year deal. Imagine if it got to 13 or 14 years, how painful that would be because you only really got two good years out of Dice K in there, which was years one and two. And then he had, he got halfway through 2010 or 2011 and then had Tommy John. And then I, he came back and just wasn't the same pitch for the Mets one year. I think he was okay, but nowhere near the guy he was in 07, 08. So that's kind of scary. And that's like in the back of my mind a little bit, you know, this guy has not pitched before in major league baseball. And there's a lot of risk when you haven't seen him do it. Now, Yamamoto is, he's won the EG Sawamura award three times compared to one with um, Dice K, but, but still, 
you know, Dice K was 26 years old, only one year older than uh, Yamamoto. So I'm willing to go 10 years at insane money. And if it blows up in our face, I'll wear it. But that's it. That's as high as I'm willing to go. If Steve Cohen wants him that bad and wants to blow everyone else out of the water, fine. He's probably going to be irrelevant in New York because the Mets are like the angels of the East. They just can't get out of their own way. And the dumpster fire is fully engulfed usually by the month of May or June. Micah, you had something? Yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, I didn't see anybody make the comparison between Yamamoto and Dice K. Like going through the the accolades when he was posted. I didn't see anyone else post that but you, Terry. And I have to say, like looking through, because I really spent a lot of time looking at the the numbers. How many years do you think Dice K pitched? Do you know the number, the total number of years he pitched in in the in professional baseball here in America? Uh, it was only t- 2007 to 2014. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was eight years. Part of that was missed with Tommy John, but yeah. Yeah, eight seasons. So imagine if they would have signed Dice K to a 14-year deal. You'd have six years where you pay for zero performance on the field. You know, obviously he probably would have tried to stick it out if he had a contract, but it's like Dice K was washed at the end of that eighth year. And... You know, if you're going to pay a guy 32 to 35 million a year, he can't be irrelevant for four or five years. That's just not possible. And, you know, I, I, we've seen Chris Sale be irrelevant for the whole four thing. Years. <laughs> the whole, the whole thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and, and it's, it's, in my opinion, the, the fact that Sale has been irrelevant for four years is a reason, a big reason as to why the organization has been irrelevant for the last four or five years because it's it's kind of handcuffed them where they have this massive deal and if they go out and get another big pitcher then you're paying like it's just a lot of money for two guys and one of them is doing absolutely nothing for your roster so i just it, it concerns me that you could give a guy 14 years for someone who's never pitched in the major league baseball and if he ends up being good or below average or getting injured you could be stuck with 32 to 35 million dollars for seven eight years that that's not he could he could be awesome for seven years and then he could break down and then you're still it's you have to ask yourself was it worth it even if he was great for seven years because then you're stuck for the back end of the deal and if for 14 years that is just that is so long to be stuck with 30 plus million dollars i just that is it's way too risky and I mean, you could go out and sign Blake Snell to a seven-year deal and Jordan Montgomery to a five-year deal, and you would have 12 years, and that would equal maybe less than what the amount of years you would give Yamamoto. Like that just it's mind-boggling that you'd be able to do that. And I just I feel like I'm way more on that path. Go get two pitchers if you're really willing to spend $350 million rather than give one guy a 14-year deal for 350 or 400. Before Charlie goes, let me just throw this in. I and I I mentioned this a few times a year. Instead of two seventeen for David Price, you could have had you could have had John Lester and Cole Hamels for two twenty, and this was around twenty fifteen. So that's why I very rarely go after these big, huge pitching contracts. I'm willing to do it for Yamamoto, 
with the risk, you know, but it's going to be very rare in future seasons that you see me come out and say, let's give a guy 300. Go ahead, Charlie. So I'm going to say, I'll say this much, like as far as Daisuke Matsuzaka, I mean, many can argue and say that after two years he was done and he was completely cashed. Um, really after four years, irrelevant, just not even worth it. So imagine, forget about four years or six years, we're talking 10 years of dead money. So 10 years at 35 million right now, if we're doing 10 years, 350, and you're relevant for six of that, boom, that's 210 million. That's literally the David Price contract gone. Literally, you pissed that money away. Excuse my French. Uh, David Price, I think, was really only gone after because we invested in Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval the year before when we could have had Max Scherzer. And if you look at the careers and years that Max Scherzer had in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, in relation to David Price, who I still was happy that we got because he did help us win a World Series, was an absolute innings champion in the American League, um, led the league in innings. No, he did not go 200 plus for four or five years in a row. That would have been great. Max Scherzer from 2015 through 2018 the lowest he hit was 200. The highest he hit was 228. We could have had Scherzer. And for some odd reason, people forget about that. Instead, we invested in Hanley Ramirez and Pablo Sandoval. And we would have been fine without either. So we'll see You know what happens here. I would imagine we'd have to have a verdict by Wednesday or Thursday. I mean, you're yeah. meeting. There's not going to be a third meeting with teams, I, I don't think. So if you're meeting with some of these guys, you know, for the second time, you got to be close to the end. But another interesting thing of note, the Yankees and the Mets have come out in the last 24 hours saying they're prepared to pivot to Shota Imanaga, who's the other Japanese pitcher on the market, doesn't have nearly the resume that Yamamoto has, but has numbers that are attractive and, and looks like he will be a, a serviceable guy here on, on this side of the Pacific. But it, the interesting thing to me is the Mets and the Yankees are talking about this guy. The Dodgers are not. So I feel like those two New York teams really feel like the Dodgers are the front runner here. And Yamamoto's camp said he was extremely impressed with uh, the presentation that they gave. So I just find it interesting. I'm out on Shota Imanaga. I would literally, I know I've said this whole time, I don't want to overpay for Jordan Montgomery, but I'd kind of rather pay for overpay for Jordan Montgomery than go with a guy like Imanaga, who could end up being like a Yusei Kikuchi type guy. And that's not good enough. And I know Kikuchi did have a pretty good 2023 but it, you know he he hasn't been super spectacular prior to that and uh, you know I'm, I'm surprised he's not getting torched right now uh in the al east but um but i'm hoping we don't pivot uh towards him like the two new york teams are any thoughts on imanaga i mean really quickly it's a really great point. I think if your mindset is already going to Shota Imanaga, then you've already admitted or at least told yourself we're not getting Yamamoto and we're just going to try to get the second, third, fourth best pitcher that could potentially be available. Imanaga's 30 years old though. And he's been, he's been good the past couple of years 
but it took until age 26, 27 for him to actually be above average borderline elite. And I don't know if that's going to all of a sudden translate to immediate success when he comes over to the United States. He's also not an incredible innings eater. So if he starts to get shellacked really quick, I don't think he's going to have a pretty a career as some people think. And as sad as it sounds, like I think I'm with you, Terry. Like if you wanted to come to Boston uh, as either, you know, I'm only coming if Yamamoto doesn't come or I'm only coming if he comes. Like I really want to know what he thinks of, of Yamamoto too. Do they, do they want to play together potentially? So would that be like a happy, you know, you know, coming story and, and whatever. I just, I think that the the numbers that he's going to put up in relation to Yamamoto drastically different. I don't think he's going to have a stellar career. Micah? I think if you're going to pay $100 million for Imanaga, or if it goes even higher than that, pay 150 or 160 for someone you know can pitch in the big leagues and is an innings eater in Jordan Montgomery. I just – you have to – the Red Sox have to hit – as much of a slam dunk with a top starting pitcher as they can. They can't miss. They cannot miss. And to me, Imanaga, he could be good, but I think there's probably a there's more variables where he just doesn't end up being the pitcher that they need him to be because he would have to be a, a one, two, or three. And I just you say Kikuchi is not a one, two, or three. I think in Fenway Park and for the Boston Red Sox, I just if that's even who he is, you know. So I, I if it was Montgomery and Imanaga, yeah, I'd be I'd be interested in that. But I think with Imanaga, I mean, it's probably a four year deal, eighty million max that I'd be willing to go. I wouldn't go any higher than that. Um, and I think he will go for more than that. And uh, if you're going to go that much, just just give me Jordan Montgomery because I've seen what he can do um, pitching for the Yankees. He was really good um, pitching for the Rangers in the world series. He was really good. He, he's got a track record. Um, I, I'll take that any day over Imanaga coming over to America and, and trying to figure out major league baseball for the first time. Um, I have one more thing. Can I add one more thing about uh, Yamamoto before we move on? Yeah. Um, so the guy with the biggest contract right now for pitchers of all time is Garrett Cole, nine and three twenty-four. Garrett Cole is six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. You know he's got a frame that you think he probably can handle a big workload. Yamamoto is five foot ten, one hundred and seventy-six pounds. That doesn't scream the type of body that's going to be able to just throw. 180 to 200 innings year after year after year. I know that it doesn't always work out that way where, you know, the big guys, they, they can break down too. But Garrett Cole looks like he can be an innings eater. Yamamoto, I mean, are we really going to just say he's going to throw 180 innings, 200 innings when he's 34 years old? I just, I don't know. The frame that you, it just doesn't scream ace and innings eater. And I mean, if you're going to, have the biggest pitching contract of all time, giving it to a guy who is considered kind of small. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of those guys in the big leagues who have done well, but there's also a handful that just don't stay healthy over the course of their career. Another thing too, and 
well, actually, touching on what you just did, I mean, Pedro Martinez is like the only anomaly to that. I mean, Clay Buckholtz, about the same size as Yamamoto. Look at him. And so it just doesn't work out. And then, and then John Lester is kind of built more like Garrett Cole. So it just kind of just kind of corroborates your uh, scenario there. Uh, but with Yamamoto, I think there's two unfortunate things that occurred here that that's allowing his market uh, to get higher. And and by unfortunate, I mean for us. Uh, number one, he's coming off of a WBC win. He was kind of showcased as big as he possibly could be, you know, to the United States, you know, baseball fans. And then number two, he's right on the tails of the Shohei Otani hysteria. So when we were looking at the project projections earlier in the winter, it was it said 200 to 250. I mean, I kind of knew it, it was going to go north of that. And, you know, the as things developed, it became abundantly clear it would go north of three. But that's just, you know, unfortunate, you know, that those factors kind of made it a little bit more difficult. I want to throw a scenario out there and I, I was excited about it the other day. And then the more research I did tonight, I, I don't think it's entirely realistic, but let's get into it. So the Rays traded Tyler glass now to the Dodgers for Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuca now, DeLuca is a very light-hitting outfielder. He might be end up being a decent contact hitter, but he's not, um, you know, he, he's not going to be a, a 3,100 guy at any point in his career. Ryan Pepio had some bright spots this year uh, in the Dodgers rotation, and they were going to have to give up a decent piece, so he ends up being it. Probably will win a Cy Young in Tampa because that's what happens. But the the notable thing here is, Two notable things. It's not a huge prospect package. This isn't like a massive haul for a guy like Glass now who can, if he can finally stay healthy for a season, could have a like a 12 strikeout per nine. The dude's similar to Chris Sale in his prime when he's healthy. He's just going to punch guys out and has a great makeup. But like Chris Sale, he's got the same frame and is prone to the same type of weird injuries. And I found it interesting that the Dodgers gave him an extension, four years, $110 million. That's pretty light, I feel like. And that doesn't take effect until 2025. He's going to collect the $25 million in arbitration this year, and then that four-year extension comes in. But when I saw that trade, I immediately started thinking about Corbin Burns. I'm like, okay, if that's what the Dodgers gave up, the the asking price for Burns can't be astronomical compared to that. It's in the ballpark, I feel like. And like Glass now, Burns has one more year of uh, arbitration. So the same exact thing. And Burns is actually getting $10 million less this year in his final year than what Glass now is getting. So I was thinking, you know, if we're going to be the runners up here or not even runners up, maybe the fourth place finisher in the in the Yamamoto stakes, I think your big move is going to be via a trade here. You might still get your secondary guy like Giolito, 
but you're you know your your more likely move will be a trade and i got excited until i found out corbin burns is a scott boris client and he's going to go to arbitration real quick before i pass it over to charlie a few key names next year that burns would be competing with roki sasaki as we know uh, Walker Bueller, who I think does have higher upside than Burns. He's a little bit younger. And then Max Freed, probably not quite, you know, on on par with Burns. But but those are the guys Burns will be competing with uh, if he does decide to go all the way to free agency. Charlie, go ahead. So a couple things about Walker Bueller. Just keep in mind, Walker Bueller has had not one but two major shoulder surgeries. So there's going to be that to... Well, this one was Tommy way. John, actually. So my- I think that's his second one. I think Walker Bueller had it earlier in his career three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. He might he have. Also but th- this he- time around, it was Tommy John, not a shoulder, is all I was saying, for, for Bueller. Right, and I'm, I'm not 100% on the second one, but he ended up having, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Walker Bueller had a surgery that when he came back, he actually got stronger and better, which is like un. You know, that's the non-normal. Um, Ryan Pepio and Johnny DeLuke, if you ask Dodger fans, they were actually sad to let go of not one but both of them. Johnny DeLuke is the guy that uh, you wanted to cheer for, a 24-year-old rookie, absolutely torched the cover off the ball in AAA. And then Ryan Pepio, similar to what you are saying, you know, could he win a potential Cy Young in Tampa Bay if he's going to do it with the team? It probably will be Tampa Bay. But that actually was a pretty decent – it was a decent haul because both of them were up and coming, had had no major blips, and even in their short sample size in Major League Baseball last year, and I think Pepio the year before that as well, did well. So you're getting a guy who – you're giving up a guy who you know you're not going to re-sign because you know like – Shane McClanahan as well, he's not going to re-sign in Tampa Bay. He's going to be gone. If he has the opportunity, he's out. And Tyler Glasnow did what we all expected him to do, which was leave. You know, I I think of, you know, there are a couple teams back, you know, 10 years ago. Do you guys remember Jeff Samarja, the starting pitcher from Chicago? Yeah. he, He couldn't wait to get out of Chicago because they just, they were a horrible team and he wasn't getting anything around him. And I think he ended his career in... Was it San Francisco or something? I think uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I think, I think he did. Yeah, he went to yeah. o- Oakland first. I want to say I could be wrong, and then ended up in San Francisco. I thought it was San Fran, so I could be wrong, and I apologize. Um, but that deal, it it is interesting. But I think what's crazy is that they're hoping that they can get the best out of Glasnow in LA. Excuse me. Because Glasnow has also had injury hiccups along his career so far. Glasnow, another Pittsburgh product who, you know, if when you look at it over the last 10, 15 years, the pitchers that the Pittsburgh Pirates have had that have all of a sudden blossomed after leaving, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Garrett Cole, Tyler Glasnow, uh, those are two of of the few. But the list does keep going when you think about it. I don't know what the Milwaukee Brewers would expect if you're looking to get Corbin Burns. You already talked about the fact that his agent is Scott Boris, so you know they're going to want an arm, a leg, the naming rights to your first child, your second child, like all that stuff to get him to come to Boston. 
it's it would require a lot. And a lot of people have said, like, Corbin Burns was an absolute star. I myself picked him to be the NL Cy Young back-to-back years. I thought he was fantastic. He had a bit of an off year last year. I'm hoping that's an anomaly, but if we start to see, like, another recurring year where you're start like a combination of like burnout and not doing well. Oh my God. I hope to like, I hope to God, this isn't Lucas Giolito 2.0 where it's someone who's just flaming out way too fast. Like almost like the Mark Pryor of the Chicago Cubs years and years ago, where you were like a one trick pony, one hit wonder. And then after that, boom, done. I'm praying that Corbin Burns is not that because I absolutely love him. I would love to see him in a Red Sox uniform. Micah. Um, so two things you brought up Sasaki um, he cannot be posted um, if he requests to be posted he would be treated as um, Otani was treated where he would be able to sign with any team but he would be paid the league minimum um, he can only come over after the 2026 season and be treated like a free agent um, because he needs so many years of service with his um, Japanese team. That's how that works. So he would essentially pick where he wants to go. Like Otani chose the Angels, but he would be paid um, very, very low. So that's two more seasons then before he can be posted or three? Uh, 24, 25, and after the 26 season. So three, three. more. So okay. it doesn't make sense for his club to post him because they won't get that large posting fee, I don't believe, because there wouldn't be a large contract attached to him. And it wouldn't make sense to Sasaki either, I don't think. No, he would lose out on, you know, million, yeah. hundreds of millions of dollars. It would take him six years to get that $400 million yep. payday, presumably. 100%. Okay. So, I mean, that maybe that something like that happens, but I, I'd be kind of shocked. Um, but with the Corbin Burns um, name... You know, a deal that to me in my mind would make sense would be like a Tanner Houck and Sedane Raffaella for Corbin Burns. Like that makes sense to me. Um, they get a good young prospect who you could move all over the diamond. Um, and then they get a, an arm that has still upside. But with Burns, with him being a Boris um, client, th- there would have to be kind of like with the Dodgers, the deal was contingent on him signing an extension with the Dodgers. And the same thing would absolutely have to be the case for the Red Sox. And I just don't know if that would happen with a Boris client. I don't know if, if that would go to um, negotiations prior to him hitting free agency. Um, but I wouldn't be, I would not give up mayor Anthony Teal. Those three would be untouchable in a in a scenario for Corbin Burns for a one year. If you told me it was Corbin Burns and he's willing to sign an extension, I would probably listen on one of those guys. I'd be interested because eventually the Red Sox are going to have to. You have to give up something to get it. I've said that before on here, and if you aren't willing to spend three hundred and fifty million dollars for Yamamoto or whatever the heck the price is going to be and you don't want to go hundred and twenty five million dollars if that's what it is for Imanaga like if you're not willing to go up to these prices which is kind of stupid because they are the Boston Red Sox and they should be able to do that if they're not willing to do that then they absolutely have to trade their prospects that's the only way they're going to acquire really good top tier pitching because they haven't there is no one in their system right now that screams an ace they don't have one in, in their farm system. And Bayo could be probably a number two, 
but I, I, I mean, I, I think that's probably his ceiling. Maybe he turns into an ace one day. But if you can't make, if you can't develop your own, your only two options are trade and via free agency. And the Red Sox haven't shown the willingness to to really be aggressive in free agency and just say, you know what, we're getting this guy. I, I, I really miss Dave Dombrowski in that regard. Tell me you're going out and getting a starting pitcher because that's a need and go do it. I just miss that transparency and um, the, the, just the lack of urgency is what is driving me nuts over the last couple of weeks. It's funny you say that because Dombrowski is like, I'm going to get a frontline guy. I'm going to get a stud closer. And within, you know, a matter of days, he does it. And then you got, you know, Craig Breslow, who goes, I'm going to be aggressive on multiple starters. And then on December 17th, he spent $1 million so far in free agency for, for Cooper Creswell. Not quite what I thought. But Dave Dabrowski, to both of your points, he said he was going to do and he went out and did it. You do, Micah, to your point, 100% agree. You have to give up something good in order to get something good if you're not what the hell are we doing? Why are we here? Getting uh, over to back to Burns real quick. It, it doesn't fit the, you know, the pattern that a Boris guy would test uh, free agency, um, you know, a year early or, you know, get an extension a year early, I, sh- I should have said. But look at Burns's metrics a little bit. His strikeout per nine has come way down. So 2020 shortened season, 13.3, that would have come down in a normal season, you know, in a two month season, it's that high 12.6 strikeout per nine in 2021 that led the majors and he won the Cy Young that year. Then it dips down almost two points in 2022 to 10.8. And then in 2023, it dips down a point and a half to 9.3. So I don't really have a ton of like concerns here. I I think he's, he's a talented pitcher and he will throughout his career, find ways to get guys out. But looking at those metrics, if I'm Scott Boris, maybe I am a little bit open-minded here to, to getting him an extension a little bit earlier because his stock could go way down and you want a cautionary tale. Look at Shane Bieber. I wouldn't trade for that guy unless it's an extremely underwhelming package. Maybe I'd consider it, but he's not a guy I'm going to put major prospects in and, and bring him to Boston until he hits free agency, which I believe is um, coming up. And so, yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I think there's a slight chance you, you could get uh, an extension on Burns. And as far as the trade package, I think Tanner Hout could be in the deal. I might try to sell them on Cutter Crawford. I'm just not a Cutter Crawford guy, but if you look at his baseball savant page, there's a lot of red on that page, which is good. He at home at Fenway Park last year, he had an even 6.00 ERA. On the road, he had a 2.74 ERA. So, if you can sell the Brewers on that, I I would probably be more apt to get rid of Cutter because I think Tanner Houck has tons of value, whether it's a starter or reliever, I don't know, but I just so bad want to see what Andrew Bailey can do with him. 
And so, but one of those two starters or one of those two pitchers would be in the deal. And I think you're more likely to see Jaron Duran go in the deal over Rafaela. I think the Red Sox want to keep their right-handed prospect since we have an abundance of lefties. And this is a great time to sell high on Duran. Charlie. You kind of took the words out of my mouth, and to your point, there's a reason why you and I like Tanner Houck more than Cutter Crawford. Tanner Houck is a sexier name. I think he's he has that Swiss Army Knife caliber ability. Cutter Crawford had a lot of moments where we weren't sure what we were going to get, as opposed to Tanner Houck would go out there and did exactly you know what was expected at, uh, of him. I... I do also think that somebody like Jaron Duran, a proven player, would probably be the guy to go because you're not getting rid of Casas. He's untouchable. Brian Bayo is one of the future starters in your rotation. He's another untouchable. Anthony, I could see potentially going depending on the return of what we're getting. Marcelo Mayer, I'm like 50-50 you do have to get rid of some of your prospects. Unfortunately, the Boston Red Sox, you can count the good prospects on one hand. A lot of other teams, they're able to get rid of picks number 16, 18, 20, and 22 because they don't have an elite farm system or they're just really good at negotiating, and that's not something that we've been very, very good at these last couple of years. I'll say right now, under no circumstances am I putting in our top three. Meyer, Roman Anthony, Teal, I'm just not going to do it. I would rather sign a guy for money if that's what's going to happen. Um, speaking of those three, I know we didn't really talk about this prior to the show, but did either of you see what Jeff Passan said about the Red Sox in the current offseason? No? I did not. Can I read his um, – because he did a yeah. little write-up. Yeah, go ahead. Um, and I figured we could talk about this for a moment. But he said, um, what do the Sox want to be before Anthony Meyer and Teal get to the big leagues? Those three are foundational players, and they're not far right now. I feel like this is almost one of those transition years where getting out over their skis may be the wrong move, but not doing anything is just going to inflame a fan base that is already pretty swollen with inflammation. So – it's that phrase that we heard, I feel like, for the last two or three years, that transition, you know, year. And I, I truly don't think the fan base can survive another transition year. Um, and I just, since I feel like the Red Sox getting mayor, the fact that he dropped to them was like the worst thing for them because everyone, since they've drafted him, so many people have been like, well, we can't. You know, Xander Bogarts isn't going to be the shortstop of the future because we have Marcelo Mayer. And, you know, we've been waiting for this guy, and that's fine. I, I, I'm I, really high on Marcelo Mayer, but you can't just waste three or four years waiting for these prospects to come back up. And you have to put a team around them that is good enough that when they can come up, you're not expecting them to be all-star level players right away. It's not going to happen. We saw what Tristan Casas was when he came up the first you know, almost year in the big leagues was rough. And I just, the, the transition year is going to drive me nuts if that's really where they're going. I hope it's not. The fact that they're willing to maybe throw 300 plus million dollars at Yamamoto maybe says they're willing to spend money in the, in the free agent market. But I, I'm with you, Terry. I, I don't know if there's a deal out there where those three players in a deal make sense. 
And I know they're all left-handed hitters and you add them to Devers, Casas, maybe Duran, like you have a lot of lefties, but I just, I don't know if you're going to get real value back for a player like Teal or Anthony or Mayer. You'd have to get a pitcher um, almost like Sandy Alcantara before he got injured um, where he has three or four years of team control and he's a, he's a legitimate ace to give up one of those guys. And I just don't know if there's a pitcher out there who is that like Dylan Cease is not that guy. I'm sorry. Dylan Cease is not Sandy Alcantara um, when he won the Cy Young. That's just not who Dylan Cease is. In my opinion, I just don't know if there's a pitcher out there or if there's a, cause it's really the pitching that the Red Sox need. Teams are not willing to trade their pitchers because developing pitching is so hard. And those three players I'm with you. I'm keeping them unless I'm absolutely blown away in a deal. Well, real quick, I mean, if it's George Kirby or Logan Gilbert, I might give up Meyer. Meyer, I think, would be the guy I covet the least out of the three, as much as I hope we keep him. But that would be the example. And, you know, the Mariners essentially told the Red Sox to lose their number. <laughs> We're not giving up these guys. But that that's the only scenario. Charlie, any thoughts? No. Yeah, no, absolutely. If Kirby was like on the table, bye. Thank you. I mean, you have to go with the proven talent right now over what could be. Mike, I really kind of want to go back to what you said about Dylan C. So do you think that his year in 2023 is the beginning of like a downward spiral for him? Or do you, because me personally, I looked at it as a statistical anomaly. I feel it. I feel that Dylan Cease was pitching for a team that just was bad. Like that. That's it. If he actually had an offense behind him, this guy could win twenty games. You don't think so? I, I think he's got the potential, but I I look at it the opposite. I look at twenty twenty two being the anomaly because if you look at his career, he's never had an ERA under three point nine one minus that year. He so was. I, I, I want to look it up because I. So he, he had he had, had a, problems and go ahead, Terry, go ahead. He had a Rick Porcello year in 2022 is might be what we're getting at oh, here. Dynamite in between two <laughs> crap years. The Josh Beckett effect. He just hasn't put it together consistently where I'm saying you can have a potential superstar in Marcelo Mayer or Roman Anthony. Like I, I just like Logan Gilbert has had a much better three years than Dylan Cease has had. And and, and Cease has great stuff, but right. the walks are a problem. He yes. has control issues. And the home run ball for a guy who can miss as many bats as he can, the home run ball was an issue. Now, I agree with you, Charlie. I'm, I'm very intrigued what he would look like outside of Chicago because that right. is a dumpster fire of an organization. 100%. And if you, if you gave him a real pitching program, then I'd be interested to see what kind of changes they could make. But I I think people really need to pump the brakes and stop saying the Red Sox now have a pitching program. Because we, do pitching we program. don't have one yet, okay? Because Breslow and Bailey could be the solution to the Red Sox pitching woes. But we have not seen a single pitcher pitch under their watch and we haven't seen them make any adjustments or anything because it's the off season. So to, and I've seen a lot of fans say, well, now we have a great pitching program. Show me 
the results because I haven't seen it and because it's not possible yet for me to see it. We need to be patient before we praise Breslow and Bailey on being these, you know, pitching solution masters. We're not the Dodgers. If Dylan Cease was going to the Dodgers, I would say, Charlie, you know what? I'm on board with you. But I'm the Red Sox are not the Dodgers, and I'm not going to act like De, um, Bailey and Breslow are the Dodgers reincarnated. So, so the one thing I have with Logan Gilbert, and Logan Gilbert is you know not George Kirby. George Kirby actually in an interview, and I apologize if I'm misquoting this, said that it it upsets him more to walk someone than to like than an. It, it makes him more upset to like walk a batter than his level of happiness for getting a strikeout. He loathes walking batters, but Dylan Cease didn't have as bad of a home run issue as Logan Gilbert, who gave up almost 30 this year. So I, I, I'm curious with both of their trajectories, Cease pitches every game every year he's he's not missed a game i don't believe in the last three seasons so you're getting someone who can chew innings unfortunately it doesn't help when you don't have a great team behind you um but i think dylan cease in boston could have a much better year i'm curious i'm more curious to see what logan gilbert will do in the next three years uh than sees in the next three years too i think we are a little bit aligned there but only because he's got him by one year and Seattle isn't a sexy destination, but he's able to do a lot with not that much. So you have a lot of players that were in Seattle that we had high expectations for Jared Kellenick, who everybody loved and just is no longer in Seattle now. Um, and maybe another team can, you know, his new team will be able to give a shot and, and see what he can do. But it's, it's just, you know, T Terry said, you know, Seattle said basically Boston lose our number. That sucks. But Seattle, I we did say this, and I, I said this recently, I think Seattle has a dark horse one-two with George Kirby and Logan Gilbert. If they could build around those two, that team can be disgusting in the West. Absolutely disgusting. So I've got some thoughts on Dylan Cease. Um, he did have Tommy John previously. It's been a little while. I think it was in 2015 or so. Um, he knew, uh, when he was drafted, uh, in the sixth round, he, he would need it. He was actually drafted by the Cubs and he, the, I can't believe this was a trade, but the, the White Sox got him. Let's see. They got Brian Fleet, who probably never saw the light of day, Matt Rose, Eloy Jimenez, and cease for Jose Quintana <laughs> who won that trade. Not that Chicago, not that the Cubs, uh, the white Sox did anything, you know, as a result of it, you know, they had a nice little window there and kind of squandered it. But so cease has had Tommy John. I kind of like to know that they've had it and, and hopefully they'll never need it again after that. So some pitchers do, but I, I wouldn't hate a trade he actually didn't have a bad 2021. His ERA was uh, 391, so just a shade under four. He actually struck out more guys per nine in 2021, 12.3 uh, compared to 11.1 .1 in his Cy Young year. Uh, the big difference between those two years were the hits per nine, 
only 1.1 hit per nine. That Oh, no, that was uh, the home run per nine. My bad. My bad. That was way off. That was a huge gaffe. I'll apologize to anyone who was offended by that. 1.1 home run per nine uh, compared to 1.9. So the home run ball was a bigger problem in 2021 compared to 2022. So not saying I wouldn't be interested, but I'm probably not putting my big three prospects uh, in that package for him. Um, so we'll see the, the, the White Sox have a a new GM now, Chris Getz, and hopefully they won't be the dumpster fire they have been, uh, for much of the past decade, but all right. Um, one more thing I want to say, and then we'll touch super briefly on, uh, Loris Gurriel seeing the way the, the glass now thing went down four years, 110 million. That gives me a little bit more confidence that Jordan Montgomery isn't getting 150 because he doesn't have the makeup of a guy like Glass now. He's got the durability, but innings eaters aren't, you know, that's not a premium that gets you to 150, 175, 200 million. It's just not a thing. And I think because of all this, and Jordan Montgomery is a Scott Boris guy also, by the way, so is Blake Snell. I think Montgomery is going to be the last guy to go. I think he's going to be like a late January, possibly early February signing because I don't think a team is going to want to really, you know, back up the Brinks truck. I think he's going to get around a hundred million. That's what I think for about five years, but I don't think it's going to be one fifty. I I was arguing with, you know, an acquaintance of ours who uh, thinks he's going to get 200 million and I, I just don't see it. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Any thoughts on Montgomery? I mean, you talked up on the the longevity piece. The the breakdown for Glasnow's deal for those that have not heard it or have not seen it, it is a four year extension worth one hundred and ten million. It will potentially go up to one hundred and forty five if the Dodgers exercise a thirty million dollar option. If not. Tyler Glasnow can activate a $20 million player option. There is no deferred money on this one either. This was reported um, when I read it from Jeff Passan. Um, you have Jordan Montgomery, who I have to look because I don't, I don't remember if he was 30 or younger. I think he was 30. I think he's going to be 31 30. soon. He's 30. He's going to be 31 two days after Christmas. Right. So you have that guy who's a an, in, an innings eater. I can't talk. Over uh, Glasnow, who has been known to be an absolute stud. The problem is he just can't stay healthy for 30 games a year. So the question is, what would you rather have? Me personally, I can't justify giving – Montgomery 200 million only because I think you're paying and Tara, I think you've used that expression, the world series premium. Had he not actually won the world series, I don't even think he sniffs 180 million. I don't think he's 160 million. I think he gets 45 over three years or, or add an extra year to it to make it 60. I think it'd be a little bit more per, but you're looking at four years, probably like 72 million, something like that. Four years, 70. Uh, my, I mean, just me. But 
how how someone could see him getting 200 that's just i mean how many years is this deal you know like what 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 are we talking about at that point i i don't think it exceeds 5 years i think that it'll take him through his age 36 season and i think at most he gets 20 i mean that four at eight, four for 80 and you're going 20 million per you're giving him that world series premium built into that deal you're getting an innings eater. I, I see Jordan Montgomery not not being that guy that's going to move the needle and bring you another, you know, bring you an immediate World Series. That that isn't the name changing addition to your team. Hopefully, he's going to be a, a John Lester type guy. I mean, that's what you're hoping, I think. And Lester was a horse. Montgomery, you know, basically the same. Um, and you're hoping, he, you know, for a guy who doesn't strike out a ton of people, only 7.6 per nine this year, you're just kind of hoping he's going to navigate, you know, through the division for six years, which is a tall, tall task. If it, if it was the AL Central, he, he would be a stud for all of it. But, um, but yeah, not a guy, like I said, I'm completely closed-minded to, but I want to see that market come down is all. Any thoughts, Micah? I think his market really could be dictated by how much Blake Snell gets because I think Snell and Montgomery are probably the two best pitchers after Yamamoto on the market who are going to probably get a five-year-plus deal. Um, So what Snell gets, I think Montgomery's going to probably try to get something close to or if not a little below. Um, I, I would be fine with five and one twenty-five. I'd be fine with that. I don't love it, but I, I don't want to go a sixth year. And I think I would pay twenty. I would rather see the Red Sox pay twenty-five million a year for only five, as opposed to you know six and you know one forty or one fifty. If it really like, I don't want six years of Jordan Montgomery. I want Jordan Montgomery, but for the right price. I, I I'm at the point. Just give me Montgomery. Give me Giolito. And go get a second baseman, and let's see where the Red Sox are this year. That's where I'm at right now in the offseason. Like, I just I don't think they're getting Yamamoto. Um, and I, I think get those two pitchers, go get a second baseman, maybe make another trade if you can get creative. But I want to see them still get two pitchers. If they were to go via trade, like we kind of talked about, I'd be all for that. But if they're willing to go up to three hundred plus million dollars for Yamamoto, they better be willing to go one hundred and forty to one hundred and sixty million for Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery. Like they better be willing to pay the money because they have all this money. Like I think I said last show that I was on, they have forty seven million dollars, or roughly just a bit above forty seven million dollars um, until they hit that first luxury tax threshold. They have to spend it. So who again? Who are they spending on if it's not? Snell or Montgomery, you know, I, they're not getting Lourdes Gurriel now because he's off the books. So they have to spend the money somehow. And I really don't think they should be $47 million. They should be worried about because they should be willing to go over the luxury tax. You got under it last year. They should not be a team that consistently sits under the luxury tax. That's not the Red Sox. I grew up watching the Red Sox. I grew up watching went out and got players. Didn't care how much they spent. And they competed for World Series. That's kind of the team I'm hoping to see. But I just, I think it's very different now than what I grew up watching. Charlie. 
Yeah, no, I mean, the Boston Red Sox in the last three, four years is a completely different Boston Red Sox. And and here's the thing, too. I, I do think that the Red Sox, ultimately, with, with the teams that are involved, I also don't think that Yamamoto is going to come to Boston. And ultimately, it's this, is what are you selling Yamamoto on to come to Boston? We have great clam chowder. That's awesome. We get four seasons, and you get to see the leaves on the trees change color. But if I'm the Giants and I'm sitting here saying, okay, cool, we've given you 300 plus million. The Red Sox allegedly have given you 300 plus million too. Why would you want to pick them over us? That's a division. Like, what does Boston have that we don't? That's literally all I would ask. And then I would prepare a response based on that. I I think that, you know, Lucas Giolito, if he were to come to Boston, I think that is a sneaky dark horse ad. If we could fix that man and be your three and you get, you know, hopefully another starting pitcher in there, your team could be pretty darn good uh, as far as the rotation is concerned, assuming that Giolito comes back and that we're able to get another starter. I really do think that Giolito just needs – uh, a little bit of work, a little bit of fine tuning, because you don't go from being that good to crap this young in your career. It's just, it's not very common. So there had to have been something that happened. Maybe he was injured. We just didn't know. Maybe it's something in his head. I have no clue, but Giolito, I, I mean, Micah, dude, if we can get Giolito for a one and one, like a one year with a one option, I would love, I would love that signing. I would love that signing. It would almost make the not signing Yamamoto palatable a little bit um, because I do I do love Giolito. I, I, I'm happy that you brought him up because that is someone that I want to talk about. But, Terry, I'm, I'm not sure what your take is on, on Gio. Well, on the very last show, I said that he could very well be the steal of the offseason um, and really make Breslow, you know, really help establish him as a, you know, as a big market GM and, and you know, give him a lot of credibility, I feel like. Um, Blake Snell, uh, you guys mentioned him just turned 31, uh, this month. So this will be his age 31 season. I think he's getting a minimum of what Garrett Cole got, even though he's a year older. I, I think that's the, that's the floor. Oh no, no, no. Garrett Cole. I'm sorry. I screwed up. If Charlie didn't make that face, I would have kept going. Um, I meant to say Aaron Nola. Okay, uh, thank yeah. you for the, correcting the yourself. The hundred, because I sat there like, Terry, man, what are you doing? yes, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm getting lit up tonight. That's like the second. I time. told you, I haven't made that mistake yet. I'm not no, doing Terry, it. Right? <laughs> it's because you're the ace of the staff, Micah. Uh, Terry and I were, were washed up. Wait, Micah, how old are you again? Twenty nine. I am twenty nine. Yeah, yeah, I will be thirty. You are the Lucas uh, of the staff. Terry and yeah. I are the Charlie Morton and insert your other uh, we'll give you justin verlander terry i mean i'll fully admit the audience doesn't see what goes on behind the scenes i'm by far the oldest but by far the least mature of everybody on this crew you know <laughs> nobody gets into more trouble than me nobody has to delete tweets more than me um which mostly aren't even baseball related but uh anyway um so blake snell um i think 175 is the floor for him um, you know, he's just, he's a two-time Cy Young winner, has the pedigree. 
is going to punch tickets left and right when, when he is healthy. I don't want to be the team to take the chance on him because he's not quite as injury prone as glass now, but eh, you know, not too far. They could be distant cousins, uh, which sounds like a Charlie analogy, but, um, but yeah, so that's uh, hopefully we're not, we're not going there. So I think, I think Snell is far and away going to blow uh, Jordan Montgomery's market out of the water uh, in terms of what his value is. Uh, let's pivot real quick. We're well over an hour, so we won't spend much time on it. Lourdes Gurriel will stay with, uh, I'm going to start calling them the big market Diamondbacks because they're blowing us out of the water with spending. They already gave uh, Eduardo Rodriguez a really good contract. So Gurriel gets uh, three years, 42 million. So that's 14 per. The comp that I like to give here. Uh, is he's only getting paid $1 million more a year than what the Red Sox gave to Shane Victorino in his three-year deal. And Victorino was kind of on the downside. He was 32, kind of flamed out a little quicker than a lot of players. Gurriel, only 30 years old. This is a move I think the Red Sox should have made. He would have instantly stabilized that outfield. He's basically a 2080 guy. He's hitting 320 at Fenway Park and 169 at bats. This is this is the guy I would have got. Instantly would have stabilized you. He's played, I think, 140 or more games the last three years in a row. And I think the reason why he didn't prior to that was he wasn't an everyday player necessarily with the Blue Jays like he has been the last three. So I'm really disappointed. I, you know, that it's that's not even a big market move. A smaller mid market team signs a guy like Guriel to that deal. I'm extremely frustrated that we didn't after saying we were interested, Charlie. Yes. So without looking right now, knowing what Lourdes Guriel is getting per year, he signed a three year, $42 million deal with an option because there is a chance for a fourth year team on there. option, though. Team option, right, which they will most certainly be picking up, assuming he can continue on the trajectory that he's had so far. How many players, not looking, how many players are getting paid more than him in Arizona this year? Probably uh, just Rodriguez, I think. Micah? Uh, I'm going to go two. We're going to give you uh, no minus points for calling it a gaffe. Zero players will be getting paid more than him this year. Erod is also making fourteen million per. You're not wrong. He's making fourteen million this year before he starts to make twenty plus because oh, there's a okay. six million dollar buyout at the end of it. Okay. So here's the thing: you are not wrong by saying the big market Diamondbacks because they're they're talking about adding players and getting guys on their team, and they're able to do it for less than fifteen twenty million a year. They're building themselves a mini juggernaut to go alongside the team that is going to blow everyone else away with the Los Angeles Dodgers in their division. If this team can can keep up with the Dodgers for a period of time, holy crap, because they're going to have a fraction of the budget. And at the end of it, Arizona Diamondbacks spend for this year is going to be what, hundred and. $3,545 million maybe at the most. And the Red Sox have grossly exceeded that and we're, we're not there. It's, it's just, it's one of those things that 
you're left kind of like going like this, like the full Italian hand gesture, like, what are you doing? What's going on? And it's frustrating, but yeah, I mean, I won't boo this team. You can't boo the Dimebacks for multiple reasons too. I mean, Hazen and their coach, like, let's be serious for a second here. Um, I'm curious to see what happens with them because uh, they could continue to build around Erod, Lourdes, Etel Marte is there for an extended period of time. Zach Galen, I don't think he signed an extension, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. He's probably going to want to stay. I mean, the team is going to be good for a little bit. Merrill Kelly was the star of uh, October. Yeah, man. But this is it. This is his last year, I think, in as far as his deal is concerned, until he potentially resigns. They also got their uh, the Seattle Mariners closer, uh, Paul Seawald, is there as well. I'm curious to see what he can do, too. I've always liked him. So their their team is going in the right direction. Mike, any thoughts? I never thought I'd be jealous of the Arizona Diamondbacks when it comes to the free agent market, but I mean, I kind of am jelly. You know, I know Terry, you were not big on the Tyler O'Neill deal. Um, I like the Tyler O'Neill deal, but I still would assign your Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Like I wanted, I wanted O'Neill to be a bench option. Or, you know, platoon him for a DH right field against left-handed pitching. That's what I wanted. Um, because I, Guriel is an established big leaguer. You know what you're getting based on he can play the outfield really well. The power is still, I think, a little bit of a question mark because previously, not, not in 2023, but in 2022, he only hit five or six home runs. So maybe the power is a little questionable, but the hit tools there, and you know he's a good base runner. Like, he, he's a good player. And, you know, Shane Victorino was really a role player on the 2013 Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox have no desire to pay any money towards role players. They just want to pay their one or two players, and they think they can find guys on the scrap heap that turn them into role players and that's their roster. But that's not how you build a championship team. You have to pay money still for the bottom part of your order. Guriel would have looked great in the five or the six hole. You know, I, I just don't understand why they wouldn't want to get that that stable right-handed bat. Tyler O'Neill is unstable. I like the move because you gave up two bucket of balls for him. And I like that move. So I'm okay with it because you didn't give anything up with it. But why why are you committing to Tyler O'Neill for the outfield? Because he's your only right-handed bat really out there other than Ref Snyder. Guriel Jr. was a perfect fit. And, and, and you didn't even have to go four guaranteed years. That's what I really didn't want to do. I didn't really want four years of guaranteed money, but I would have done it. But three years, that's a dream. That's a dream. And I don't understand... And this is part of the problem with the Yamamoto thing, because if they're not in on Yamamoto, if they're not truly in on him, they wouldn't have to pay $35 million to him. They could go out and sign Jordan Montgomery and they could go out and sign Lucas Giolito and still get um, Guriel Jr. And you're probably just over the first um, threshold of the luxury tax with those three players. And the Red Sox team would look drastically different if you added those three proven big league players we would have a totally different feel on the team coming uh, going into 2024 so i'm gonna add your name micah to my list of people 
who owe me an apology when Tyler O'Neill lights up the Christmas tree in 2024. I'm doing But, I'm but doing Charlie, it. my thing is I don't expect Tyler O'Neill to be the starting right fielder all year round. That's not what I want. No, I want him I'm to saying. be a role player, though. That's what I wanted. Like, you know, instead of Rob Ref Snyder, I would rather have Tyler O'Neill. And that's that's the truth. Absolutely because, agree. Yeah. And that's Absolutely. what I wanted. You know, I, I I know they just I know Heimblum just extended um, Ref Snyder, it was like 2.5 mil per year, but like cut Rob Ref Snyder or find a deal where someone was willing to take half the contract and have Tyler O'Neill as your, your platoon backup outfielder. I'd be all for that. You know, it's complicated with O'Neill because he, it's his walk year. So he's going to want at bats. And if Abreu and Duran are killing it, how do you, how do you have O'Neill out there? You know, and unless it's, you know, a lefty that's starting on the other team, it's just you're putting O'Neill in a bad situation and our outfield is presently a bad situation. So, I mean, Guriel was the surefire stabilizer here that wasn't he was going to play 140, 150 games and he was going to be more than adequate. 14 million a year. If suddenly all these kids in the outfield are killing it and he just doesn't have a spot anymore, you can trade that contract. It's not a Xander Bogart's deal that was untradeable before the ink even got dry on the contract. So it was just a, it was the ultimate insurance policy and they didn't do it. Fun fact before we wrap. Without looking, how old is Merrill Kelly, Diamondbacks pitcher? 33. 31. He was drafted twice. The first year he was drafted was 2007, 16 years ago. <laughs> He's 35 years old. So wow. I didn't. So I'm wondering, I'm like, because Charlie said he's a free agent next year. I'm like, well, why didn't they lock him up? And then I look, I'm like, oh, he's 35. They, you know, he's got no leverage. They can just wait and then lock him up. You know? He spent time in Japan um, oh, pitching okay. for a couple of years. Um, because he was out of out of professional baseball here. I don't know how many years he was in Japan, but I want to say it was like at least two or three years. Well, he didn't make his major league debut until 2019, so that's a long time. And he was drafted the second time in 2009. Who was that by the Cleveland Indians at the time uh, in the 22nd round of that draft? So he was never a highly touted uh, pitcher out of college, but found his way to the majors nonetheless and you know really really was a stud in the postseason there so was that young guy brandon fought but all right uh we will wrap on that didn't expect to have a long show tonight but we did it's fun to talk baseball i guess so uh hopefully everyone has a great Start to your work week, and we'll probably be back when the verdict is in on Yamamoto or when Breslow signs a contract more than a million dollars. Everyone take care.